Welcome to Streetside Talks, where in each episode we'll be speaking to the key individuals that are improving the livability of cities through innovative and transformative projects and initiatives. My name's Charles Critchell and I'm the founder and managing director of Fair City, a London-based city transport think tank who work to promote more accessible, equitable and sustainable cities. For the third episode in our Streetside Talks series, I'm delighted to be joined by Henk Swatu, the president of the European Cyclist Federation. We're meeting at COP26 in Glasgow to discuss how the Federation are intending to make cycling more visible to world leaders, with a view to unlocking the cycle's potential as the ultimate zero emission vehicle. So welcome, we're at the third Streetside Talks episode coming to you live from COP26 in Glasgow. And today we've got the president of the European Cycling Federation, that's the ECF the former Dutch ambassador to both Denmark and Finland. So I'd like to welcome Henk Swartu. Thank you. Hi. That's Thanks for having me. So we've just literally brought you straight from the station, so you've not had a chance as yet to, uh, to look at anything no. that's going on with COP. Um, but I've just wondered whether in all your, your long years as a diplomat, whether you've personally been to Glasgow before, or, and whether you've actually been to a previous COP. Uh, no, actually I haven't. I have never been to Glasgow before. I've been to Scotland several times but never to Glasgow for some reason and I haven't been at a COP or I've never been at a COP focused on on climate of course COP means conference of parties and the conference of parties for other treaties and agreements uh, but never one like this but I do have my experience in big international conferences yeah yeah no, excellent well on that note if you can maybe just tell us uh, tell our listeners a bit about what the European Cycling Federation do uh, who you are and what, uh, you're, what you're looking to, uh, to achieve please allow me to, to correct you it's the European Cyclists Federation uh, apologies and, and even that name doesn't really cover what we do because actually we are not only there for cyclists but for people who ride bicycles. Mm. Uh, basically what we do, we represent the European cyclists at the uh, supranational, at the European level. We are a federation of member organizations. Mm. So all over Europe, not only EU, but including Switzerland, parts of the UK, Norway, Russia, we have member organizations and individual people who cycle, they are member of those organizations and we are the federation of those organizations. And we have about 40 full members, uh, 30 associate members, 70 members in total, uh, some of them even outside Europe. But we are a civil society organization uh, looking after Europe's cyclists and working for Europe's cyclists. Basically what we what we aim for is more and better cycling for all. Well, I just want to thank you for picking me up on that because actually, particularly here in the UK, it's very um, divisive, the word cyclist, yeah. um, as, as you probably know. And, and it just if you just explain, as you say, it's, it's, so it's recreation it's, 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 and it's transportation um, as well. It is. Um, in, in Dutch, we have two words for cyclists. We have a wielrenner, who is a competitive cyclist, mm. who is represented by the UCI, you know, who organizes world championships and all that. Mm, mm. Uh, and a fietser, who is uh, just somebody who cycles to work, to school, for leisure, mm. uh, recreation, uh, utility. Uh, uh, we do all types of cycling except for competitive cycling. Right. Basically. Right. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, so we're obviously here at COP, but I want to start with another big C, which is of course 
COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I think what's really interesting is COVID demonstrated the power of cycling as you know, a more accessible, equitable and inclusive mode of transport. Um, and a report which used the ECF's own data actually suggested that levels jumped from around 11% to about 48% in European cities as you know, city authorities yeah. rolled out emergency uh, cycleways. Uh, what was really interesting from our point of view is that traditionally sort of marginalised and underrepresented groups such as women and my, um, ethnic minorities really sort of started cycling. So I just wonder, because you joined the board as the vice president just before COVID in 2019, and then obviously you were then elected president in April this year, April 2021. So during this period, what initiatives did the ECF implement to help grow the number of people cycling? Well, obviously, uh, Charles, you have been watching our COVID tracker, Mm -hmm. um, uh, which was indeed an initiative we took early in the pandemic because it was becoming clear that people wanted to avoid public transport for obvious reasons and you know not everybody has access to a car particularly the groups that you just mentioned uh, disadvantaged people people living in suburbs uh, low-income households children um, and we indeed saw the the, the, the proportion the, the rates of cyclists we saw it rising even though people were not going to work mm. people were the schools were closed but still the level of cycling uh, rose, and the other side of that is, of course, that um, if well, lots of people don't have access to a car, but those who have, if they would all have chosen the car, mm. a congestion would even have become worse than it, uh, than it already is. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, also we were actually COVID coincided with us firing ECF up again. Our new CEOs, they started three weeks before the pandemic started. Um, Jill Warren, our CEO, took the great initiative to to launch the Women in Cycling Network. It's, 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 it's virtual, but for instance at the Velo City conference, which was postponed, but which we had uh, in September in Lisbon, there was a, a, a great event for women cycling on which we also work closely with the cycling industry. Mm. Because you know, there are as many women in the world as men, mm. and women buy bicycles as well. Well, exactly two points. I think um, I actually watched the the launch of that event. It was fantastic earlier this year. And along your point about women buying bicycles, we do a lot of work with cargo bikes. And speaking to suppliers here in the UK, they said it's always the women who make the decision on on, on what to buy and and, and to buy. So, yeah, I think particularly with with families, it's, it's, it's a good point. So I just want to switch now and talk a bit about funding for cycling, which as a result of the pandemic has obviously increased, particularly here in the UK. Um, but within the, EU, within the EU, there are currently two main funding sources. So we have the EU structural funds, yep. which is the regular EU budget and includes the European Regional Development Fund. And then as a result of COVID, we've also got the recovery and, um, and resilience fund. Facility, exactly. Facility. Fund, yep. Whereby member states submit plans yep. to the Commission, um, so NRRPs, National Recovery and Resilience yep. Plans, to access a share of 720 billion um, COVID recovery fund. So if you just stick first of all with the structural fund, which as I understand works in seven year funding cycles, We have the 2014 to 2020, <laughs> yeah. I will get to it, 2014 to 2020, which the ECF helped secure two billion worth of funding. Yeah. But for this next round, which is 21 to 2027, you're saying that, that cycling needs at least six billion euros Indeed. worth of funding yes. to encourage real modal shift. So I yes. just, just wondered. And it's if, okay if it's more. 
<laughs> of course, of course. I mean, exactly. So I just w just wondered if you could provide us with an update on the structural funding. Nah, I cannot because it's no. too early. Okay. Uh, right. We are just starting the round for you know, 2021 to 2027. Right. And if you know how the EU works, yeah. how the institutions work on the inside, yeah. it's too early right, for an right. update. But but do know that we are working closely with the people in the Commission, with the people who are uh, working with the different funds right. um, to, uh, to, do, to, to introduce our own proposals. But what we're also doing is Briefing uh, our members in the in the in the, in the member states uh, and uh, local and regional governments on how to how to apply for this kind of funding, how to access that kind of funding. It's a very complicated, very legalistic, very bureaucratic procedures, and we try to take our members and their local authorities by the hand in applying for mm. that kind of funding because you know most cycling policy is locally originally uh, planned executed voted funded mm. and mm. for local authorities particularly smaller like municipalities um, the road to Brussels is long yeah uh, and we try to help there mm. and so do our member organizations I think you, I mean, you mentioned it there. I mean, I, I'm aware that you did actually develop sort of a tailored strategy for the 27 member states, and I just wonder, yeah. obviously, without naming names, <laughs> you've obviously got some some uh, some nations which I imagine yeah. are sort of more, you know, taking the initiative a bit more, and and, uh, and then whilst you're trying to encourage others to raise their ambition to actually access. This Indeed, funding. we try to, and and we set examples. Mm -hmm. We lift or we present. Uh, countries or authorities which are doing a good job mm. at, mm. at, at uh, accessing funding mm. and at making plans to increase the levels of cycling. We present it to others mm. as, as best practices, mm. as good examples. Uh, and you also asked for the uh, recovery and resilience uh, mechanism fund. Mm. Uh, there we are really dependent on the national governments. Mm. Mm. It's not the Commission who decides to fund cycling or, or other modes mm. the national governments have to submit their plans mm. to to the commission and what we do is we scrutinize the plans the mm. national plans if we think they are not up to scratch regarding sustainable mobility we will tell the governments and actually what we have seen is that several of them have in the course of the year adapted their plans mm. and introduced more uh, sustainable mobility and active mobility into the national recovery plans. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I mean, if we just move now from EU funding to EU strategy, um, and so nearly a year ago, December 2020, the EU presented its sustainable and smart mobility strategy, which is sort of central to the EU achieving the European Green New Deal, which, Indeed. As, as I'm sure you're aware, aims to reduce transport emissions by 90% by 2050. So its strategy identifies these 10 flagship areas, um, one of which states that cycling infrastructure needs to be doubled in the next decade from currently, I think it's 2,300 kilometers to 5,000 kilometers, which is obviously very welcome. However, there's no mention of cycles under the first flagship area, which is to boost zero emission vehicles. So I wonder, do you think the strategy will do enough to unlock the potential of cycling in meeting the 2050 yeah. targets? And just as a follow-up, do you think there's too much emphasis on simply electrifying vehicles, perhaps as we're seeing here at COP? Well, you're, you're right, and indeed that's a good link uh, to COP, 
because uh, on, on, on Wednesday, uh, on the 10th, we will have transport day here. Mm. And if you look at the program, it's all indeed about the electrification of vehicles uh, and, uh, and about charging infrastructure and all that. But, you know, less than 5% of vehicles sold today is electrified. That means the other 95% are not. They will stay on the road for another 20 or 30 years. Mm. This is going to take too long time. Mm. The transport sector is the only one which emissions are still rising, mm. whereas energy, housing, industry, etc., they, they manage to, even agriculture, I think, manage to reduce their emissions. Transport emissions are still rising. Yeah. And there is no way we can reduce those fast enough only switching our uh, our car fleet to electrified cars and production will not be fast enough the charging infrastructure rollout will not be fast enough we don't have that time and as long as 50% of car trips is shorter than five kilometers and one-third is shorter than three kilometers um, we can uh, start switching those car trips to bicycle trips mm. now, mm. tomorrow. Mm. Yeah, well, we've got a ready-made tool, haven't we, in, in the bicycle. And I, th I think it's interesting just picking up on other points about cars, because obviously it's not just the emissions, which yeah, is no, traditionally yeah. associated <laughs> with NO2. We've got, you know, more congestion, safety, you know, for pedestrians and cyclists, but also PM2.5, which comes from sort of, you know, tyre and brake. And public health in general through mm. uh, through insufficient exercise and, mm. and, and a sitting sitting down lifestyle. Yes, yeah, uh, that, lifestyle. That, that's where the biggest uh, social societal gains are actually to be made, is what, what our research uh, shows. Mm. But you, you, you mentioned, uh, in the question before, you mentioned infrastructure, now you mentioned safety. Mm. Uh, all research shows that concerns about safety are the biggest uh, hinder mm. uh, for, for people taking up mm. cycling or choosing the bicycle. Mm. And that's where the infrastructure comes in. Mm. But not mm. only infrastructure, also legislation, regulation, uh, cultural changes. Uh, we have to do something about the sheer dominance of the motor vehicle in, yeah. in our cities in particular. Yes, yes, quite right. And I think if we just turn specifically to COP, just sort of following on, I mean, really this COP is as much about climate justice as it is about climate change. And you know, as we know, the global north, so including obviously the EU member states, yeah. uh, are major contributors to global carbon emissions and the impact of which is you know, disproportionately felt by the global south. So, do you consider that international organisations such as the EU have a moral responsibility to get this right? Not only for the people their policies directly impact, but for people everywhere? Uh, for, absolutely, we have a moral impossibility to get this right, full stop, mm. uh, for people everywhere. Mm. But I would like to, <laughs> to mention that we, we, we don't only have the European Cyclist Federation, but we are members of a global uh, alliance called the World Cycling Alliance, uh, the biggest, uh, the ECF in Europe, and People for Bikes in the US are the biggest uh, are the biggest two members. In the other continents, the the organisations are in different stages of of development, but there's also a clear wish uh, in the global south, um, shall I say, not to repeat the mistakes that we have made in the north mm. uh, about how we organize mobility uh, in 
again in particularly in our cities mm -hmm. and we all know how fast cities in the in the global south uh, are growing Developing, and getting congested uh, and all that and there are some cities um, like a Kiriman in, in in Mozambique who are doing excellent job at indeed avoiding that mistake that we have made mm -hmm. so that there are there are reasons to sort of try and be a bit hopeful maybe but yeah I think we're all on a, have a moral obligation to be to be hopeful or to be optimist at least yeah uh, it's easy to be cynical mm -hmm. um, but let not, let's not choose the easy way yes yeah yeah let's keep pushing for this change and I mean as we sort of touched upon earlier what is noticeable at COP is the absence of cycling yeah. so you know whether it's no cycle well, that's why we're here well of course I mean well <laughs> I think we'd be here be here anyway because it's always about pushing it but uh, I think no cycles in the blue zone I notice there is an electric race car and as you say it's not actually featured on the, the um, upcoming transport agenda which is yeah. on Wednesday um, so the ECF published an open letter which has been signed by over 160 I don't know yeah if we're at over 180 right now 180 yeah. organi including ourselves I might add so uh, yeah, and, really and not only say. cycling organizations I should uh, I should mention there's all kinds of climate uh, but also other mobility type of organizations yeah yeah I think people that are just just pro more livable you know cities yeah. towns and yeah. villages yeah and um, and so that's been sent to heads of state to get them to commit to significantly increasing the number of people cycling in their in their countries but so what are the ECF so yourself and you've got the CEO Jill Warren coming yeah. on Tuesday I believe on, uh, Wednesday. on Wednesday on Wednesday uh, what are you aiming to achieve at COP and how are you intending to do this uh, we are we are we are aiming to make the voice of cycling heard mm. and seen if possible we had this fantastic campaign by by cycling UK you know this machine fights climate change yes yes great impact uh, we hope we, we we our letter is not that visual, but we ho we hope it will have the same impact, mm -hmm. and that's the whole point that um, cyclists are invisible, mm -hmm. bicycles are invisible. Um, you 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 know when there's a cycle lane being introduced and uh, on on Twitter and elsewhere you see the the, the, the motorists starting right. The cycle lane is all empty. Look, yeah. nobody's using it. The cycle lane is all empty, whereas the car lane is, of course, congested. Mm -hmm. But, you know, have, has, have you ever seen anybody complaining that the railroad is empty? Most of the time, 99% of the time, there's yeah. no train. Well, even, even even as you know, most cars are, are generally single occupancy <laughs> for shorter trips. Exactly. So, you know. Okay. Exactly. And, and, and then there's the whole, the, the, the insanity of using a 2000 kilogram vehicle to move a, a 75 kilogram person yeah ah, that's so we need we really need to to, mm. to change the paradigm mm -hmm. and this is it's paradigm and and, 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 yeah. and 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 that's why we need to be visible we need to make ourselves heard because the car industry is very good at this yeah uh, they, and they have vastly more resources mm. and that's uh, if there's anybody listening to your post mm. to, to your podcast mm. who wants to support our work mm. uh, please check out www.ecf.com <laughs> and support our work because we need the resources to be able to do what we're doing yeah no complete I was gonna plug you at the end actually but we'll, we'll get it in twice so uh, just so just so listeners and viewers don't miss it um, and just finally Hank so on Saturday it was a big day of protest um, you know there was a peddle on cop 
um, which saw thousands of people cycling um, across Scotland to deliver a message to world leaders here mm -hmm. in Glasgow. And as you rightly said, in the messages, this machine, i.e. the cycle, yeah. fights climate change. So I just wondered, in your extensive experience as a diplomat, what's the best way to achieve change? Is it public advocacy, just such as demonstrations and open letters, or private diplomacy, such as behind all meetings and a word in the ear? Well, you're probably going to tell me it's a bit of both, isn't it? it? Well, it's not a bit of both. A it's lot a, lot of of both. Both. a lot of both. <laughs> no, it's a lot of both, and they mutually reinforce each other. Yes. Um, we are. We ACF. We are working. Uh, to, for a great deal behind the scenes, close to power, mm. uh, but we need uh, people who are visible in the streets. The critical mass, mm. uh, the demonstration you just uh, mm. you just mentioned. Mm. It's, it's 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 both, and mm. we both re reinforce each other. Mm. Mm. So so no, we must continue to do that. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, there, 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 there are many ways that lead to Rome. Mm. Mm. Oh, exactly. So I'd just like to thank you, Hank. That's that's it. Time is time is up because I know you've got yeah. a very busy and packed schedule. Um, so just wanted to say thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure, Charles. If you'd like to find out more about the great work that Hank and the European Cyclist Federation are doing, be sure to check out their website, ecf.com, where you can also find and sign their open letter calling upon governments to commit to greater levels of cycling. Thanks for joining us and we look forward to welcoming you to another episode very soon.